This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to get to all of the news that came out today. We finally know about Fight Island, where it is and what it is. Plus, UFC 251 got announced with not one, not two, but three title fights. We'll dig into all of those details. We'll also circle back to UFC 250 and discuss the outstanding performance by Cody Garbrandt and what might be next for him. Plus, John Jones just absolutely hammering the UFC on Twitter. We'll go over what he said, but also what might be the reality of sitting out. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. All right. Well, happy Tuesday to you. Well, you know what? <laughs> we don't have a moment to waste here. Um, we had a plan for the show, and we'll stick to most of it, but we have uh, other stuff to get to. So without further ado, let's get to some breaking news. Breaking news. Mm. Okay, breaking news. Fight Island is Yaz Island. Yaz Island is the island that they've been to two times already in Abu Dhabi. It's not really uh, that interesting. I w- this is the good news for me. I never really cared that it was on an island. right? Everyone's like, ooh, is it going to be exotic? Is it going to be on the beach? I don't know how you're going to put that on the beach, bro. The outside uh, you know, area is you know, 120 in the middle of the day in July. I mean, they're going to the hottest part of the planet during the hottest part of the year. I don't, you know, it's not the idea that they're going to fight on the beach. I would be shocked if that's true. I mean, even indoors, it's going to be hard to get things going, but okay. Neither here nor there. Fight Island is Yaz Island. This is in the United Arab Emirates. It's an island in Abu Dhabi. It's been, you know, there for quite some time. But that's, to me, less of a thing. The biggest thing here to pay attention to is four cards in July are all going to take place there, which means, you know, the UFC staff is going to just live in the United Arab Emirates probably for about a month or so. Okay, from MMA Fighting, first of all, the first ever Fight Island card is going to feature a trio of title fights. It will be July 11th. So, here's who's going to be on it. On Tuesday, UFC President Dana White announced a welterweight title fight between Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns. It's going to headline the card taking place on Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. Also on the card, featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky is going to face off against Max Holloway in a rematch in the co-main event. The third title fight will crown a new bantamweight champion as Peter Yan takes on Jose Aldo. So there you have it. Your welterweight title up for grabs. Your featherweight title up for grabs. Your bantamweight title up for grabs. Um, and I guess Usman has now inked a new six-fight deal with the UFC. So I guess he got a new deal to get more money, but... You know, you guys know the drill. That means he probably had to sign four more. Also on the main card, in addition to the fights I just mentioned, is going to be a rematch between former strawweight champion Jessica Andrade and Rose Namajunas, and then a fight, I'm not sure why it's on the main card, who cares, between Paige Van Zant and rising star Amanda Hebos. Boy, Amanda Hebos is going to give her the beatdown. That is going to be an ugly, ugly fight. So there's your UFC 251 uh, main card. It's pretty dang strong, if I do say so myself. Um, all the cards that are going to be there are going to be on the following Wednesday, July. Excuse me. Well, first of all, July 11th for UFC 251. 
Wednesday, July 15th, Saturday, July 18th, and then Saturday, July 25th. So from the 11th to the 25th, four cards are going to take place essentially in a three-week span, all of them in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I guess it's going to be four events, one pay-per-view, and then three fight nights. Some of the other fight nights, I don't know that we have a full declaration of who is and is not on the card. As you know, the UFC went back to Abu Dhabi at UFC 242 as well as UFC 112. So this will be the technically third, fourth, fifth, and then sixth time that they host shows in the United Arab Emirates. Okay, there is a lot to unpack here. First of all, as I would say, excuse me, I would say, that is a sensational card. I mean, you could say what you want, you know, uh, that is a sensational card. And if they're following protocol from the Nevada Athletic Commission, I mean, they're not the ones sanctioning it, but they'd be the ones sort of following it. You know, you might like what you get here, both in terms of safety and all that other stuff, plus the available talent itself. So if they do what they've been doing in Nevada, and I guess that remains to be seen, there's a lot to like here. We'll talk about the safety protocol stuff a little bit later as we get more information about what the plan is. For now, as it relates to these, this is great news because what we discovered yesterday was if you just have international fighters in the UFC fight other international fighters, and then you, on the opposite side of the earth, have just national fighters, in this case American, fight other American fighters. You can get good fights, you can get good cards, but it gets a little thin. It appears to be that some of the good news here is that we're going to get a lot of our international fighters, in many cases these are champions, uh, over to the United Arab Emirates. And then on top of it, some of the American fighters are going to be allowed to go over, like a Max Holloway, like a uh, Kamaru Usman, like a, I guess, well, he's not American. Well, he is American, I guess, but Gilbert Burns, you know, lives in America, probably trying to become an American citizen. Um, so that's good that we can meet in the middle there. And that really is the way you mesh the best kinds of available talent. I would love to open up the phone lines to get your reaction to this, because that is a hell of a fight card, folks. Three title fights. And as I mentioned, man, I feel bad for Jorge Masvidal. I certainly do, but this is the problem that they're all up against. It's a real next man up kind of vibe in the UFC where if you say no, they'll just go to the next available contender. And honestly, as I said on the show, you could make a very clear and compelling case that the fight between Burns and Usman is a better fight than the fight between Burns, excuse me, than Usman and Masvidal uh, for a lot of different reasons. But it's not a crazy difficult uh, argument to make. It's pretty straightforward, to be honest with you. So I would love to know what you make of these particular title fights and what each of them means. We can break all of that down in detail. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Of these three, I got to tell you, I would have liked to have seen something different for all of them, but I can't hate on the fights in a vacuum. Let me explain what I mean. In your main event, that fight belongs to Jorge Masvidal, but he is currently deciding that he wants to fight for more money, which we all understand, I think to a degree anyway. And so, you know, we're just looking at this and saying to ourselves, well, um, I can't hate on the fight. It might even be a more competitive fight, to be honest with you. Right? Burns is on fire. These guys know each other. And uh, there's reasons to think it'll be a stand-up war. You go to the co-main event. Now, I would have loved to have seen Volkanovski defend this title against somebody else in the interim. But 
they're not going to do that. And maybe they couldn't because Korean Zombie had an eye issue. And then, oh, by the way, the pandemic hit and blah, 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 blah. So they decided to go in a bit of a different direction, or at least, you know, they didn't entertain any real, any real other possibility. And now they're going to go with the rematch uh, from earlier in 2019. I got to tell you, you're talking about the two best featherweights on the planet by far. Hard to hate on that. I'm not sure exactly what chance Max has. He is incredibly talented, but the first fight, he was a little bit technically, at least from a game plan standpoint, outmatched. So this is something we can discuss. And then last but not least, we have been all over Jan versus Aldo. I don't particularly like this fight in the sense that it belongs to Aljamain Sterling, but he got a nice win. We can all agree. He looked pretty good. We can all agree. And the key consideration here that is worth putting into mind is that I can't say that Jan versus Aldo will be a bad fight. I can't even say that Aldo has no chance. I don't think that's right either. So there's something to look at these fights. And if you really want to complain, yes, you can. I'm not denying it that these are not the ideal fights. But there's something about the sum total of them being on one card that makes the nitpicking all the way down sound a little much. It's like, dude, there's something kind of, and I'm going to put air quotes up here, wrong with all three. But if you're going to get all three on one card, it's kind of like, well, maybe we shouldn't complain as much. Kind of an interesting scenario there. And then you get the rematch between Nama Yunus and Andrade, and then Paige Van Zandt's going to have arguably the toughest fight of her career against Amanda Hebus. The toughest fight certainly in some time. So that should be interesting. This week on World of Basketball, Argentinian legend Luis Scola joined the show, and he spoke about the biggest adjustment he had to make when he first got to the NBA. I remember the first couple of practice, we going through some five on five, and I make a pass, and I see the guy guarding him, and I thought, you know, it was a clear pass, and the guy comes out of nowhere, boom, like a shadow, <laughs> takes the ball and dunk, and then I make a pick and pop. And I get the ball, and I, I feel I'm open, and I'm going to shoot. And somebody comes out of nowhere and blocks the <laughs> shot. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, it was totally off timing. Like, those, those guys don't supposed to get there. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, okay. All right. Cobb, what a crazy-ass day. All right? Um. When it rains, it pours in this sport. Dude, bro, I don't even. Um, okay. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know where to start on this. By the way, of the four title fights announced now, so we've got heavyweight title fight, Stipe versus DC3. You've got, what's the next highest one? It would be featherweight, right? Matt, oh, excuse me, welterweight. It would be Burns and Usman. Then featherweight, it would be... Um, uh, Max and Volkanovski too, and then it would be bantamweight, Jan versus Aldo, and then even flyweight. Although I guess I can obviously imagine that's not at the top of your list. Of those that I just said, Cobb, now do you have a favorite? Because that's that's two events, but essentially the summer. I'm really of, curious about DC Miocic three. Yeah, it's not now. I don't know what to think. Were you? I forget how you were back then. Were you like me? And thinking first time, this is DC's fight to lose. Second time, this is really DC's fight to lose. And then he loses. And now I don't know where to go. Yeah, it was funny. It's, it's curious to see if he, if he, I know it was, it seems like a small thing, but has he tightened up that hole that uh, Stipe found to just land those body shots at will? Is that, it was amazing watching that whole fight turn around once Mio figured that one out. Like, oh, he's not blocking this. I'm going to keep doing this all day long until I find the headshot, man. So, I'm really interested to see how that third fight goes. Good job. Yeah, yeah, I would argue to me that's 
That one, oh, well, you know what? They're all pretty. I mean, I would say Jan versus Aldo. I'm not saying it's not competitive. It's just probably not as competitive as those other ones. But uh, okay, here's what I would say. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I would agree. I think it might be the most interesting one. Now, let's put all that aside. There's a lot of different things to uh, unwrap there and discuss, and we will from now until would those fights happen, and then certainly afterwards. But we, we haven't even gotten to this yet. I mean, it feels like, God, it feels like UFC 250 was like 10 days ago. And yet we're still having this happen. I mean, it's crazy. Okay. How about Cody Garbrandt? We talked about him a little bit yesterday. And yesterday we noted that Cody just looked phenomenal. He looked so great and was worthy of so much praise for what he had done and what he had shown. I want to dig into that a little bit deeper. You know, I've actually not looked at the rankings. Have they updated them? Let's see if they have. Uh, they have not yet. I guess they will at some point today. Cody is still sitting at nine. I suspect that will change at some point because Al- Aljo is still sitting at two. I think he'll probably jump to one, I guess. I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what will happen there. But in any event, uh, 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Let's talk about Cody Garbrandt and what might slash should be next for him. First of all, let's rate his performance. I'm going to give it an A-. minus. Okay, I couldn't give it an A plus because I think he's still working out some of the kinks. I think he's still getting used to um, the new way he's being asked to fight, or at least the different way he's being asked to fight. But I thought he executed it very well in general. I thought he had done a really, really great job, and um, it, it is deserving of praise. Okay, so what did I like about it? A lot of different things. First, in the end... What we had talked about with Jimmy Smith is that, you know, there was this question about whether or not he could improvise, make reads in a fight, blah, 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 blah. And we knew he could follow a game plan and he did that. Um, but what he also did, if you ask me, was he made some improvisational calls in listening to his corner. His corner was, they didn't tell him exactly to dip down the way he did and throw that punch at the time he did, but they were basically telling him, you know, that he's leaning into it. So, you know, he's biting on these, some of these dips. So use that to your advantage. And then he did, and he did it with patience and great timing and then great surprise. You know, I'm not saying that's the ultimate demonstration of fight IQ. As I indicated at the beginning of this soliloquy, I think there is probably more that needs to be shown, but you know, folks were asking what KO is more impressive, Sean O'Malley's or Corey, excuse me, um, uh, Cody Garbrandt's. Well, um, you could make the argument, certainly, that the uh, technical specificity of what was being shown by Sean O'Malley was a little bit better. You could say it was cleaner, it was trickier, and uh, that was all she wrote. That's probably true. The problem is you are fighting significantly less, op, uh, less tough opposition when you take on Eddie Wineland versus a Rafael Sunsau. A Sunsau just makes less mistakes. He is harder to do anything against. I mean, consider the fight up to that point. Now, if you recall, and people forget this, Cody uh, had dropped him with a right hand maybe a minute before that. And then you had seen Asun Sao sort of shake it off and say, no, 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 no. He didn't do that. That wasn't real. Uh, I'm fine. But the, the tape showed it pretty clearly. Yes, he did. He got dropped with a punch to the back of the ear. So that right hand was, was beginning to find a home. To me, the parts that really make me confident about Cody at least maximizing his potential. Now, what that means, winning a title, maybe. 
Never winning a title again? Maybe. I don't know. But getting the most out of what he has to offer, the reason why I have at least some hope for it all is because he showed a a willingness to make changes before the fight. Those changes appear to be helpful. He followed a game plan that was defensively responsible. You could argue if you wanted defensively responsible to the point of being offensively a little bit weaker than it needed to be. Right? It wasn't like he was finding the right hand over and over again or he was letting his hands go all the time. He was very much about sticking and moving. But it didn't maximize his weaknesses either. It very much closed the door on them. And what it showed me is uh, it may take him longer to get going and he might have to be a little bit more careful about it. But he still can make reads and obviously he still has a series of physical gifts that will enable him to thrive. So he'll become something more like a bit of a Frankie Edgar, where if there is a matchup that is really in his favor, it's not going to go well and it's not going to go long. But if it's even uh, in his favor, but it's kind of tough, it's probably going to go a bit on the longer side. It's not, it's not a style of fighting that's designed to go, uh, you know, it's not like what Justin Gaethje is doing, where, yes, his fight almost went the distance, but prior to that, he had three first-round KOs, where it minimized his defensive liabilities, but didn't really change a whole lot about his offense. This, to me, is a little bit over that line. It seems like it does change a little bit about his offense, but the counter-argument to that would be, okay, maybe, but the problem was his the nature of his offense before was a function of being defensively weak. Somehow, Gaethje has been able to separate those two. He's been able to divorce them uh, uh, to a strong degree anyway. He's not nearly as encumbered in the same way that uh, Garbrandt appears to be still. To flatten an opponent like that, with that kind of explosive power, with that kind of adherence to a game plan, making those kinds of reads, having the presence of mind to understand the spatial distance and what you needed to do, and then listening to your corner. Man, you can't ask for a whole lot more. You can ask for more here, there. You can't ask for a whole lot more. And you got something pretty special from Garbrandt. Is he back all the way? I don't know. Do I have significantly more confidence in him than I've had in quite literally years? Yes. Yes, I do. I think he is very much capable of handling people at the top of that division and winning. And I think he also has championship caliber again. Now, the question is, what would have to be next? He had indicated at UFC 250 he would want a shot with TJ Dillashaw. I'm not sure when Dillashaw's suspension is up, to be candid with you. I can look it up here. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, although I know it's, it's not too far. Year, isn't it, Luke? So like what, like February or so? Yeah, because he fought Cejudo, I think, near the end of the year or at the very beginning of the January card. So I would think it's got to be around about the same time. Yeah, this is what it says here on Wikipedia. On March 20th, he announced he had been relinquishing, relinquishing his belt due to a USADA suspension. Uh, New York gave him a year-long suspension retroactive to January 19th, which was the date. On April, it was announced Dillashaw was suspended by two years for USADA. 
I guess, retroactive to that date. So January 19th, 2021 is when he's eligible. Is that how long he wants to wait? I mean, it's June and he had one fight this year. I suspect that one more is due. And if you look at who is ahead of him right now, and this will change because I think he's going to jump some spots. It's Jimmy Rivera. Pedro Munoz is taking on Frankie Edgar. Uh, then it's Jose Aldo, Rafael Sunsau, who he just beat, who was at five. So then it's just Corey Sanhagen, Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling, and Marlon Marais. Now, here's the funny part. Is Marlon still with the East Coast Super Friends, or did he go somewhere else? I'm not sure, because otherwise, I'm not sure who's above him at that point, other than Corey Sanhagen. And if, do you want to do Cody Garbrandt versus Corey Sanhagen? Buddy, I wouldn't mind seeing it. That's a hell of a scrap. I'd be all in favor of it. But... I'm not sure who else would be there. And if he loses that, of course, I'm not sure if the Dillashaw fight at that point makes sense. Maybe it does. That's one of those game time decisions. I guess we're going to have to figure out in real time. But for the moment, um, there you have it. I I tend to think that the best fights for him, yes, the Dillashaw fight makes sense, but it's just not really available to us for a while. And if he's going to wait, you could take the winner of Munoz versus Edgar, but that's a Mark Henry person too. So the only ones that are available that are above you are Sterling. He's going to get the title shot. Jan, he might become your champion. I guess he could get Aldo if Aldo loses, but at that point he's 0-2 in the division, so I don't really know. It, it looks like he might be on a collision course for Sanhagen. We'll see where Sanhagen ends up in the rankings, but that could be interesting. WWE legend, The Undertaker. I have tried my hardest to protect kayfabe. Honestly, just within the last couple of years, I mean, I would cringe when I would hear people, you know, like we're doing now, like talking openly about behind the scenes stuff. It would just like, I, I'd grit my teeth and just, I think I was the real last holdout to, to kayfabe. Listen to Busted Open's interview with WWE legend, The Undertaker, on demand now via the SiriusXM app. Just search Busted Open Interviews, now free. For most subscribers. Let's get to this for a second. God, it feels like like a bunch of news just like rained down upon us right before the show, and I'm trying to sort it. Did you see this, Cobb? Do you know what time? I'm not sure if this is true for all four cards, but for the um, Abu Dhabi card for UFC 251, did you see? <laughs> did you see what time it's going to be? I was actually going to ask you about that. I missed what time it was in a bay. Okay. All the other Abu Dhabi cards, of which there's only been two, took place basically at American time in the afternoon. So when, whatever the relative equivalent was of 10 p.m. over there, it took place here, which is like, you know, two, three, or four. Whatever it ended up being, I don't remember. But um, they're not doing that for UFC 251. <laughs> they're going to put it on American time, which means the main card, 10 p.m. here, uh, in Los Estados Unidos. So let me see if my math is on this is right. Current time in, let's say, uh, Abu Dhabi. I just want to make sure my, yeah, my math is right on this one. It's eight hours ahead. Cobb, that means the main card, the main card starts at 6 a.m. in Abu Dhabi, which means your prelim card fighters would be fighting somewhere, let's say, four hours behind that. That means the card is going to start at 2 in the morning or so two or three in the morning in Abu Dhabi, people are going to be fighting at four in the morning on the prelim card. Is that the craziest thing you've ever heard? So if it's outdoors, that means it's going to be a nighttime show then, I guess <laughs> on the beach. It's still 90 degrees plus <laughs> at, at, at night. I kind of wonder if that's better for them <laughs> than okay, than 20 well, let, in the afternoon. Okay. But let's do the math. That means they'll be fighting essentially the main event by eight or 9am. And at that point it might already be a hundred. 
Uh, I think they're going to still be fighting indoors with an air-conditioned facility. So I guess, you know, take your pick. You can either fight in uh, sweltering heat or you can fight at 6 in the morning. Can, can I just tell you how little I would ever want to cover a fight where, A, I have to travel on a plane in the middle of a pandemic across the ocean. B, I would want to go to a country with a terrible human rights record, although it is very nice in terms of your amenities. And then uh, on top of that, I'd have to get to the arena at, let's say, midnight and then cover fights from basically then until they'd end around eight or nine, which means after the press conference, um, somewhere around noon or one, you're done. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> I'm good. Good Lord, that is going to be terrible. And it was so funny, too, because I saw all these European donks on Twitter who were like, yes, finally, we're going to get a month of fights that are going to be in our time zone. Now, again, I don't know if they're doing that for the fight night shows. They might just be doing that for, um, for just the pay-per-view. I have not had that confirmed yet, but that is awesome. Wow, man. Hilarious. Uh, what are you going to do, dude? What are you going to do? That is Yay, so funny. Fight Island. Yay, Fight Island. That is hysterical. All right. I was going to get to John Jones. Let me get to this very quickly if I can. We have more breaking news. So we can play the breaking news alert one more time, please. Breaking news. Uh, there's a gentleman whose name you might not know, but if you're in MMA media, you certainly know him. His name is Rafael Mourinho. And you're like, who the hell is Rafael Mourinho? Is he a fighter that I've never heard of? Does he compete in Chuto Brazil or something? No. He is a journalist for Combache. And uh, at Combache, he breaks news all the time. All the time. This dude is constantly breaking news. He might be your biggest news breaker outside of any North American media. And that, that is probably, he's on par with even North American audiences or uh, media. He is reporting that Justin Gaethje is going to fight um, Nurmagomedov for the undisputed lightweight title on the 19th of September. This will headline UFC 253. So you kind of have your headliners now for the next three of these events. UFC 251 will be Burns and Usman. UFC 252 will be DC Stipe 3. UFC 253 will now be Nurmagomedov and uh, Gaethje. Let me see if the, he announced any... If there's been any announcement of um, facility. Let's see. Um, I'm sort of translating it here over Google Translate, so you have to forgive me a little bit here. Um, no. Venue does not. We don't know. We don't know yet. Venue, venue set to be determined. So, again, I wonder if they're waiting for the world at that point to be a little bit more open, which, you know, who's to say if it will be or won't be. Let's assume that it will be. To go maybe someplace else besides Las Vegas, to go someplace... Again, where you could have a modest crowd or it might be easier for travel or just to change things up. I don't know. I don't know what they're planning there or what the thought process is. Maybe they're just giving themselves... I guess they're just giving themselves some options, right? Because you can just always go back to the Apex. I mean, you already own the facility for crying out loud. You can always just take it there if you needed to. But if there's an opportunity to go somewhere else, I guess you could do that too. So those are your fights. And this is why, by the way, to just square the circle on everything... Um, this is why Conor McGregor's sitting out. 
because he wanted this fight with Gaethje. He didn't want to wait until after the winner of this. So if they fight on the 19th of September, let's do the math on this. The earliest that someone might be ready is maybe two to three months after. So October, November, or December would be the earliest someone would be available for a turnaround fight. And even then, that, that may not be available either. There could be six-month suspensions that could be handed out that may not be able to get changed, depending on what, you know, because, I mean, hello, Justin Gaethje is fighting, right? You're not going to get over that super quickly, usually. So I, that's why Connor is sitting out. Connor wanted this fight against Gaethje now, or the fight with Anderson Silva, which I acknowledged on yesterday's show as a fight by itself in a vacuum, I do not especially care for. But if it keeps Connor in rotation, then I'm not sure what the harm is. But now you have some schedules being developed now for UFC. And by the way, all three of those headlining fights in their own way is pretty interesting, right? So a lot to look forward to if, in fact, you are a fight fan. Now, with that in mind, I had mentioned I wanted to talk about John Jones for a second, if I can. Um, John Jones took to took to Twitter and uh, has just been relentless about the stuff he's, you know, upset about. We got to some of it yesterday, uh, and, but I want to finish off here a little bit. If you, if you missed it yesterday, he went on and on about, you know, not making enough money. So this is just from yesterday. Quote, it's not a matter of not wanting to fight. I committed my whole life to this trade. The issue is not being able to go anywhere. Next tweet. Everything was good until I asked for a piece of the pie. UFC totally comfortable with me taking concussions for over a decade, but asking for generational wealth, get the F out of here. Next, next tweet. Almost every interview, Dana mentions how the UFC are breaking new records and are at an all-time high. Dana mentioned I want wilder money. Meanwhile, over the entirety of my career, I haven't even made a quarter of that. Next tweet. When I was in my prime, the UFC's way of not paying me was telling me I wasn't a star. Had me grateful for a new car, meanwhile making tens of millions without my knowing. Next tweet. Impressed a young kid with a Bentley to fight Leota Machida while they collected millions. Next tweet. I'm not even asking for back pay for ripping me off throughout my entire 20s. I just want to be treated fair moving forward. Next tweet. Advice while you young fighters are young. If you're hot right now, get paid. As much as the UFC is building your brand, you are building theirs. If you think your biggest paydays will come after being with a company for a while, you are wrong. Next tweet. I fought mega fight after mega fight throughout my early 20s for under $2 million a fight. Who knows what I'm actually owed? Makes me feel like a fool even thinking about it. Next tweet. Someone said, you know, you signed what you signed. He responds, like I said, I'm not asking for what happened in the past. I just would like to know they'd be willing to at least play ball moving forward. The way the beginning of our heavyweight negotiations went uh, said, sent nothing but red flags. Uh, he goes on to say, what do you believe? Someone asks, what do you think you deserved? He goes on to say, quote, just to be treated fair. For all of us fighters to finally start getting a higher percentage. No one's asking to break the bank. Just show your athletes you don't think we're all idiots. How many pay-per-views did you sell? Someone asks. Since joining the UFC, millions. And that's a fact. He has. I may not be a master megastar, but I've been bringing in new fans for over a decade. That's true. Uh, someone asks, how are you not a megastar? He goes, I know I've had some negative press over the years, but this can only be the thing that UFC used to justify not paying me for so long. Um, 
says he's going to take a vacation, blah, blah, blah. If me sitting from fighting somehow helps other fighters in the future get taken care of better, I did my job. You're welcome. Someone says, it's not negative press. You've made bad choices. This is all yesterday. You're absolutely right, he says. I have made some bad choices while growing up in the public eye. But honestly, I feel like that whole conversation is just a bit of a distraction. It's not justifying, which is absolutely correct. And then he goes on to, you know, make some other things. All right. So what can we glean from all of this? You know, again, we, we talk about what is the potential upside here? What is it possible? Where, where, where's all this headed? Okay, everyone's complaining. Everyone's bitter. Everyone's mad. All right, fine. Now what? Now where are we? I don't think, I don't think there's enough happening here to force change as it stands. I mean, think about this for just a second. You have all this negative press about fighter pay, but look at all the positive press that came out today. We know our headliners for UFC 251. We know our headliners for UFC 252. We know our headliners for UFC 253. And we know some of the other pieces of the puzzle being filled in below. Okay, people might be a little bit let down that Fight Island is not really a thing that they were let, maybe led themselves to believe. Again, I never cared about that dumb shit. I don't care if it's on a beach. I've seen it. It doesn't, at some point, you're just still fighting. Who cares? And I, it was with Bodog Fight, and it didn't do much. Kind of interesting as a thing to like revisit in your past, but not really all that big a deal. But this is what I'm talking about. Yes, it creates for bad press, and that kind of matters. We played the Dominique Foxworth exchange with Dana from earlier in the show on first take. That's a big deal. The negative press does have a way of sort of wafting in the room and sticking around like cigar smoke. But at the same time, folks, you got to look at the bigger picture here. They're just rolling on. And you didn't get Masvidal versus Usman, but on the card, you got Usman versus Burns, which is pretty great. And you got two other title fights below it. And they're going to put it on at a time convenient for American audiences, which is your dominant pay-per-view buying audience. Like, there's just not a lot of evidence that the bad press is slowing them down. There's just not a lot of evidence that the bad press is really going to be heavy enough to force their hand. It's noteworthy that this is happening. I don't want to say it's all for nothing because that's not quite true. We don't live in a world of black and white. We live in a world of something, obviously, as you know, always kind of in between. But what you have to fundamentally accept here is look at what a great day it is if you're a fight fan in terms of what's on the horizon. It's pretty great. Is it as great as it could be? No. Is it as, uh, are these cards as stacked as they otherwise would be? No. Are you missing some key ingredients? Yes. Those are all real things. Are you missing enough that you really feel the pinch right now? Not really. Not, I mean, some, your mileage is going to vary on this, obviously, depending on your answer. But not as much as, not as, much as I think some of these guys sitting out would like to believe and I'm not even again, please don't misunderstand me. I, I under, I could, my, how clear could my views be? I support them. They're right when they say they don't make enough. The question is, what is the strategy to get you from here to there? What is the one that works? Is this the one that works? I don't know that it is. So these complaints from John Jones that I just read through, he's got a point. Jorge Masvidal's got a point.
Conor McGregor, you know, I don't like the fights that he suggested, but I would, if I was a promoter, I would rather have him in rotation. So to an extent, he has a point. And yet, look at what the day is. Frank Yeager at Bantamweight. Three title fights on one card. Another one the week after. Two headlining pay-per-views for the months after that. You already know what your pay-per-view headliners are going to be up through effing October. I should say up to October. Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.